and welcome to the Pillow Talk Podcast, brought to you by Local Flavor Productions. You can find us across social media at Pillow Podcast. Now here are your hosts, Nick, Jeremy, and Bill. Second, Nick, what yes. redefines the mockumentary genre for you? Uh, the movie Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which will uh, always and forever be on the top of my number one um, uh, haunting or October horror movies, whatever. And you said that's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It is a fantastic mockumentary um, about a group of people who uh, are going to find the next big serial killer, the next big They're urban They're going to discover the next big serial killer, right? Yes. And, like, he's going to show them, like, how he does his stuff. And this whole thing takes place in a world where Jason and Freddy and Chucky and uh, uh, Michael Myers, where they're all real. Like, this, this is, they're all real people. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. What um what I had Nick because I was just sharing with you guys um we had talked a little bit earlier about uh, I found an article that was the top five best Halloween tropes or horror movie tropes and then five that needed to go and I did some further research and came up with a whole list and this is college ruled paper by the way um, nice my thought if you guys are okay with it um mm-hmm. is we run down the list and we can just decide whether it's a trope we like or a trope we don't. What do you think? I like it. I like it. Kind of call it, it best and worst. Oh, and everybody <clears throat> just heard our spooky Halloween opening music. Oh, is it the Halloween song by Haywood Banks? No, I think it's uh, it's uh, the X Files theme. Oh. It's not the Friars Club roast of Frankenstein. Nope. No. And actually. I think I have to go in there and <clears throat> make a modification to it. Oh, nice. As Nick, I think it's just yours and my name. <laughs> is it? Uh, Can you just really just shoehorn Jeremy's name in? Yes, I'm going to totally make it just horribly blatant what I've done. I actually approve of that and appreciate that. <laughs> like, like could, could it be just like our names like normal with your daughter saying them mm-hmm. and then just you saying and Jeremy <laughs> and Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's going to turn out like if you watch if you watch Major League on TV. Yeah, strike this guy out. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what it's going to yep. be. <laughs> yep, exactly. And Jeremy. And Jeremy. <laughs> I like it. Yes, yeah, so you guys get to hear that. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. So, and then if there's one, I also wanted to point out, like if there's one in here that that we really really like. Maybe we could come up with like a top three or five ones that like we all agree are like the best sure. ones. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I will also admit, uh, while reading some of these, I gave myself goosebumps like three times. Oh, nice. Yeah. So um, the first one is uh, horror movies with a like a found footage style, so like an a la Blair Witch Project or Paranormal Activity. Yeah. 
What do you guys think? Like it? Don't like it? <clears throat> I. It depends for me. I like it if it's not used too much. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't mind it in the Blair Witch Project. Like that was obviously like the big one, you know. It was. It's probably the one that would come to mind for most people when you kind of. See yeah, it. I um, I didn't. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you this. I don't mind it if it's not used too much. I appreciate it in the normally the first of a series of films because for some reason found footage. There's always multiple films. I appreciate it in. Oh, so like when it's an original idea. Yes. You don't mind it, but the sequels, so Paranormal Activity 9. Yeah, I could care less about that. Like, I, sure. I, And I think maybe that's because of the movie uh, lover in me. Like, I'm like, oh, man, how did they do that? Or, you know, the, 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 the aspect of special effects in a found footage movie, like, the, the practical effects of it, that, that really, I like that. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I appreciated it. Here's the only exception to the rule. The first Blair Witch Project... And the last Blair Witch Project that just came out. I don't think I saw the last you one. You didn't see the follow-up? I mean, I saw Blair Witch Project 2. No, 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 no. Uh, Blair Witch Project... It's Was it Blair Witch Project? It was called The Woods or something like that. Really? And it was about... Oh, that is a phenomenal movie. Um, uh, I don't mind it, but it has to be an original. I, I can't do it for more than one movie. Mm-hmm. So, my- Jeremy, you got strong opinions. On my- <clears throat> I don't know. I I think that my my gripe with that, and it's probably going to be the same gripe with a lot of these, but but the found footage one in particular is it's a, <clears throat> it's such a great idea. You look at at the Blair Witch Project or or something similar to that, <clears throat> and it really is unique, right? It's it's not like it's never been done before, but maybe never been done on that scale. But then the, you look at the capitalist side of things, and then all the Hollywood studios realize that that works, and so now they flood the market with all kinds of stuff. You copycat, following, and it waters it waters the experience down. I actually like. Um, I think there's been a couple of them when they use it sort of as a hybrid. That it's not a, the entirety yep. of it is it found footage. Did you guys ever see Apollo 18? Yep. <clears throat> where it was kind of like that, yeah, where there was a mix of a mix of obviously you know, choreographed shot scenes, but then you'd go to these parts of it where it would be like the cameras in the the lander that were on and that was how you were seeing the stories. So I yep. think it's kind of cool when, when they find a good seamless way to integrate that in. But, but it, I mean, if it fits the story, great, but if it's just another attempt to cash in on something that made some studio a lot of money, then it's less interesting to me. So I, I, I kind of agree with Nick. If it's really well done and it fits the story, then it's a keeper. If it's just to make money for shock value or to try and capitalize on a trend, then whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think I couldn't agree more with what you've both have said. I mean, then honestly, and I'm not just saying this because I just mentioned it. The movie that does it the best to me is behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. It starts out as a documentary, but there's a point and I don't want to give anything away, but there's a point where it flips. It's mm. great. It's it's so great. It's on my list, Nick. Um, okay, so uh, the number two and that second one is uh, the whole running up the stairs thing in a horror movie. And 
before you guys get started, I mean, for me, this one kind of jumped the shark when they specifically called it out in Scream, which was well, a movie kind of lampooning horror movies as it yeah, is. Yeah, that was kind of a um, yeah a movie that was... It was supposed to be kind of tongue-in-cheek, and they specifically yeah. called out the don't run up the stairs, and so that's kind of when that whole thing jumped the shark for me, but what do you guys think? I don't know. Do that, one, go first? that one, to me, ends up... Have you, have you guys seen the Geico commercial that's out now where yes it's it's a lot like that where they're you know let's uh you know let let, let's go hide behind the wall of chainsaws or let's go run into the attic when they're outside you know and she's at one point the girl's like why don't we just get in the running car or something that's a crazy idea so it, it, it it's something like that where you know obviously the characters are put in a high stress situation but there are there are when you get into situations like that it's just the the decision making is you can only write it off on adrenaline so much. We say, okay, no, no right. rational, no rational person would be in a house and choose to go to a less egress accessible part, of the <laughs> a less escapable right. part of the home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, and I, I also think that a lot of these, not that they weren't ever like, like not that people ever didn't notice them, but I think because of screech, like doing, you know, so, I mean, obviously, like you said, being so tongue in cheek about everything, like the always mm-hmm. be in two pairs and don't ever go anywhere alone. Don't ever say you're coming back. You'll come, be right back as you leave a room. Be right back. Yeah. Um, you know, all those, all those things I think w- we were made more aware of because of that movie. I think that movie in general, you know, did a, obviously it did a lot for the horror genre, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, but yeah, this, this one, I don't know. I, I mean, because it almost is at this point like, oh, they're going to go up the stairs. They're going to trip. Right. Then they're going to. I think it, it's it's become cliched. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, the scene, because I, I think my all-time favorite horror movie is Halloween. Mm-hmm. So that may come apart in this a lot. But, you know, there's that scene toward the end of Halloween where, you know, Laurie Strode runs up the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and does if she doesn't run up the stairs, you don't have then a lot of the drama and suspense in that last what, 15 minutes of that movie. And yep. so I get how it works for, to move the plot along, to, you know, you really ratchet up that expanse, or not the expanse, <laughs> uh, that was the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> you really, you know, ratchet up the suspense when, you know, when you're, now you're trapped and you're trapped in that closet because you've put yourself in that. Yep. Um, and so I, I get it for there, but I think if you're making a movie now, I don't think, it, I don't think you can use it effectively now because I think people are going to just revert back to the whole, oh, why are you running up the stairs? Yeah. No, you're exactly uh, right. I don't know, maybe that's just me. No, you're you're exactly right. It's it's um, it's just like I don't know. I think that's also I guess it's part of that's part of the fun of horror movies, is mm-hmm. like the the armchair quarterbacking. Like, why would you do that? Why would you hide right. in the closet when the crazy guy's got a, you know, got a knife and, you know, there's so many other places you could go. Um, well, yeah, you, you can get that experience where you're sitting there and if you're really into a movie or you're watching it with other people, you know, the screaming at the TV, don't go up there, you know, yeah. that type of right. you get. And, and, and it's the same thing. I mean, a trope is a trope for a reason. You could, we mm-hmm. could sit here and tear apart uh, rom-com tropes or action movie mm-hmm. tropes mm-hmm. or, you know, but but there's something to be said, and I think that overall, it makes you appreciate, re- recognizing what these themes are and the, the stuff that comes, and sometimes it's 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 an eye roller, 
but it really makes you appreciate the fact that when you get something in the genre that can defy, that can have the same impact on you as a viewer, but defy those tropes or get, you know, mm -hmm. do it without mm -hmm. resulting or, or um, resorting to those, then it, that's a really standout piece of filmmaking. That goes back to the, the found footage when you get something like Blair Witch Project, which you're not seeing that in anything. It's new. It kind mm -hmm. of goes away from what's typically been done. Um, and, and it got a lot of, of really positive feedback in, in, yeah. in a cult following. So I, I think it, it makes it better to appreciate the, the really creative filmmakers who are able to impact you that way without having somebody go up the stairs or whatever, fill in the blank trope. And I guess it also is like, if you're in a stressful situation, like, yeah, it's easy for, you know, us to be like, you know, Hey, I'd go out the front door. Or I'd go to the back door, you know, but I mean, if you've ever been in a stressful situation, like you're going to make a mistake or you're going to, you know, so I guess well, and if the stairs are closer, you know what I mean? Yeah. The front door is all the way over there and the back door is all the way over there, but the stairs are right here. Exactly. You know, it, so you know, fight or flight. I mean, it has, it has its place. It has its place, but it's, yeah, yeah. I think overused. I, I, my, my thought is just, I think it works well in some of the older movies that are out there, yeah. but I think if you were to make a movie today, I don't think you can go back no, to the well no, with it. No, I, I, it would not. I think work work in today's um, times. Okay. What about uh, the theme of like a constant lurking evil? Again, I go back to Halloween where, you know, Michael was always just kind of like in the background watching. How effective do you guys think that is? I love that. I think because it gives you like this. I, I, I think that, I think that's probably my favorite, my favorite of all of these. Really? Yeah, I honestly, I do because there's just something to be said about like the, Oh, they're there. And oh, if they just turned around like a split second sooner, they'd see them or, you know, mm -hmm. if they were paying more attention to the surroundings, they'd see them. And, and this, this whole thing could be completely different. Um, the stalking, the, the, you know, the stalking of it all, it just, it, it builds up the suspense and it really, um, I think when, when it culminates, you know, when they finally do see that person or you start to see the plan put into action of the, the, the main character, it, it just, it does, it makes it like, gives you a good climax point. Like, it's almost like you're holding mm -hmm. your breath until you can't hold your breath anymore. <laughs> and then, you know. Yeah. Jeremy, you got any feelings on it? No, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it, we, we're talking about constant lurking evil. I, my mind immediately went to pretty much anything by Stephen King, which has some sort of existential role sure. that's, that's behind it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it, it, it makes the, it makes the suspense something bigger than just targeting it towards one particular thing that you can always see. Right. I, I think about alien too, right. The, the, you go through the, 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 the vast majority of the first alien movie, you don't really see the alien. It's always there and you might catch a little glimpse of a part of it, but yeah. you don't really see the xenomorph until the end of it. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, 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 I'll do a thumbs up for that. I, I, I think there's that, that's a, a good one that I think you can continue to find ways to capitalize on that in different and, and be creative with it. You do bring up the good point of not being of, of, of the, the unseen is the scary part. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like your mind, your mind is always the scary, is always the scare, the scariest, you know, what you think of in your mind. I, I'm always a big fan of 
if I'm not a huge like gore fan, like I don't need something yeah. to be super gory. I don't need all the. I I want it, it's it's what I don't see that right. my mind can just run mm-hmm. wild with that makes everything. Yeah, and, I, I'd agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, it's a difference. Like if you, if you if you take two films, two horror films, and one's a gore film and one's a suspense film, the suspense films, if they're both well done, suspense yeah. film automatically is going to be scarier because of what again what your mind is, it's tricking your mind into thinking things that you can't see. Mm-hmm. I've, I've long said that, and I can't find it here, but that alien and aliens are probably in my opinion, two of the scariest movies that have ever been made yes. just because of the suspense and because of what you don't see. Mm-hmm. Um, again, yeah, it doesn't need to be a gore fest, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think aliens <laughs> for a PG thirteen movie is probably one of the scariest things you could possibly subject your child. I still can't believe that movie's PG thirteen. Uh, an- <laughs> another one, another one that pops into my head, which kind of toes the line of horror versus action, and you get this hybrid of it. But when you're talking about the the unseen, I mean, pr- the first Predator movie is a, a fantastic Ooh, example yes. of that. Even to the point where it, now, if you want to talk about how it can be done. Find anybody who's seen that movie and just randomly, like randomly sneak up behind them and play that fast paced music that happens every time you see something from the Predator's point of view. And it will scare the bejesus out of them if there's no one else in the room, (laughs) because that's the whole part about, you know, unseen. It's not like that evil's like lurking around the corner. It could be standing right in front of you because it has a cloaking device on it. But the, mm-hmm. the way that they integrate sound and music into mm-hmm. that with the whole unseen, that that's probably um, one of the, the creepiest things. I don't consider yeah. that really a horror movie, but it's still it, it'll still put the um, put the hair on the back of my neck up when I hear that sound. Yeah, it, in, mm-hmm. it initiates a, a Pavlonian response to mm-hmm. like you're like, oh, no, I hear this sound like when you hear the the the, you know, Halloween stuff, when you hear. You know, when you hear the, 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 that, that's like, you know, something's going to happen and you're instinctively, you're like, Oh, I mean, it goes to me on this podcast. Yeah. uh, Another good example, um, and not really a horror movie, more of a suspense type thing. But if you're getting into the sound, another perfectly good example is Jaws. Yeah. The music, the music that comes up when the, the shark starts to approach and you can't see it. You, but you know that it's there, so it's it, that that may be. I don't know, Bill, whether that gets the, the whole sound piece gets added onto your list of tropes, or whether we jumped ahead. I've got some music in here. We can we can jump yeah. to it too. I mean, because you've, you've got. Um, I think the one I wrote down here is creepy music that is foreshadowing something else. You know, we as um, we as the watcher know something that the people in the movie don't yes. know, you know, we know who the bad guy is generally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that Michael Myers is the bad guy. We know that, you know, that whatever. Um, but we get that because we've got the creepy music. Mm-hmm. So to what, what impact does, does that have? I mean, my opinion is that the right kind of music or the wrong kind of music will make or break a movie, but. Yeah. Well, I, I think it has a lot to do, if you're looking at the music piece of it, I think it has to, to do with the uh, the rewatch value, too. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have something that's going to generate, you know, Nick, you called it that Pavlovian response. Mm-hmm. If you don't have something, then as soon as you know what's going to happen by the time you get to the end of the movie, 
there's no skin in the game. You're not going to have those same feelings yeah. when you go back and rewatch it again. However, if whatever it, the sound, especially if it's going to get you that viscerally on the first watch through, it's almost like it's going to imprint in your brain. And whenever you hear that, you get that immediate response. So now you can go back and even though you know what's going to happen, it can still spook the hell out of you. Yep. I also think that the foreshadowing aspect in particular really jacks up yeah. the suspense too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because when you can't see the shark <laughs> in Jaws, but you hear the music, you know it's there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Jaws is very much a horror movie too. Oh, yeah. Um, just, but, um, the, the foreshadowing music, it just, it gets you on edge before anything even happens. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's extremely effective. Definitely. And before, um, before we get away, oh, yeah. can I, can I just say, Nick, I won't ask this because you're, you're still off of Facebook. Bill, did you see that thing that got posted? Uh, on the guild's website, the where they turned the credits from Predator into Beverly Hills Predator. <laughs> no, I didn't. Go, go watch it because it, it's set to the the theme, uh, the 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 opening credits music to Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Oh my God, it's one of the most perfect, beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. One of the only things I miss about social media is the guild. <laughs> yep, yep. I was the only thing that. Um... That I that I missed from when I gave up Facebook was just the groups I was in. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. What's up, Trooper? Um, everybody says hi, Troop. It's the white Cujo. Yeah, he has a white Cujo. We were gonna make him. Good a, God, uh... dude, that dog's. Yeah, this is the kitchen dude. table, by the way. Something about the angle of that—that that is not a polar bear. That's not yeah. a dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His, his his head was just on the kitchen it's table. Like cleaning yeah. up baby diapers when that dog poops and, or <laughs> it's um his head was on the table and he was not he was on all four legs just standing there mm-hmm. uh, we never gave him the creaking noise was, was the legs of the table giving way as the dog yeah. <laughs> dog's head goes on it yeah he was laying in the kitchen and he decided he wanted some attention mm-hmm. um what do you guys think about because we had talked about um some of the constant lurking. What about like uh, they categorized it as like a mirror jump scare, but um, you could also use it, you know, like when, you know, you've got your face in the fridge because you're in the kitchen by yourself and you close the refrigerator door and then the thing is standing on the other side of the door. Um, like those types of jump scares. What do you think? Uh, I, I don't like the, I, I don't know that I like the mirror jump scares. The ones that I like are window jump scares. Okay. And if you're looking outside and then all of a sudden, especially, you know, in, in the, um, I want to say that there's a scene from the, the mist, the adaptation by the, the Stephen King film with Thomas Jane, that's like that, but they'll do it in cars too, where, you know, especially when it's dark out and then all of a sudden something slams up against the, the glass and it could be something evil. It could be somebody that's hurt that they're looking for that. I, I like those types of things. The mirror one never always, most of the ones that I think I've seen have always felt a little contrived, but I'll I'll (laughs) alter it and say the window jump scare works for me. I'll tell you this. I like the, the mirror, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, window with the reflection. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the thing is in with you. I'm a, I'm a fan of the evolution of it the evolution okay. of how it came from 
you know, I mean, the window or the 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 window jump scare I think was first probably, and then there was the, you know, the the bathroom mirror, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the oh I'm looking up to I'm shaving and then I look down, splash some water on my face, I look up and there's something behind me, mm-hmm. or um, you know, but the the other thing about that too is that we've been conditioned to it. So we've been conditioned True. to know, like, oh no, this camera shot, this camera shot at this angle, something's going to happen. And so they can also play yeah. off of, they can also play off of like the suspense of like, oh here it comes, here it comes, and then you know, let's just say it's that initial, you know, let's just say it's that bathroom scene, you know, um, you know, like in uh, Poltergeist, the movie that Bill doesn't uh, ha- still haven't yeah. seen it, but I want to see yeah. it, but I don't want to, yeah, see but it. you don't want to see it. Uh, where, where it's, you know, you look down, splash them on your face, you look up. We're conditioned to, oh, they're going to look down, they're going to look up, they're going to see something. You can do it where they look, they, they look in the mirror, they look down, they look up, nothing. They turn to walk out of the room, let's just say. The camera angle changes, bam, then you see something. So you're like, your guard's down for a split second, and then they get you with something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that it can be turned into a setup shot, you know? So you can use it as a mystery. Yeah, yeah for, for lack of a better term, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like a setup for something else. Right. Yeah, but but it is, uh, Jeremy, I think you're exactly right. Like, it's a, it is kind of contrived. Like, if it's, if they do it the way that they've always done it, it's, you know, there's like a certain art to things. If they, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I, I, I will say, though, that, that, those types of things, contrived or not, when I see them, still make you go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you, the Conjuring movies are bad for these um, jump scares. Yeah. They, they, they are. It's, it, um, the the jump scares in those movies are just like, ugh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think there's there's something to be said though for I'm gonna have to see if I can explain what this means, but something to be said for movement in those situations too. Like, so let's say you're, I, I can't think of a specific example of this, but let's say you're doing that, you're, you're standing in front of the mirror shaving and you look down and then you look back up and you see something. If the something behind you is static, even just for a, a couple of seconds, like that, that can be spooky enough. Mm-hmm. But the way in which whatever you're seeing moves, and I think that a lot of filmmakers have gotten really good at this with that oh, yeah. the really sped up fast movement of something towards you that's still really jerky Mm-hmm. And unnatural looking. I think yeah. depending on how they can do that type of movement, that's that can add a lot oh. to it. You mean like if the it's ring standing there? If that lasts oh. too long, then it's not terribly scary. But if all you know, just all of a sudden, because you, for you as that that third person omniscient, you mm-hmm. feel like it's coming towards you. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you get put in the the person's view or line of sight. You get put in that, and the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the like the ring, like the grudge, you know, where they had those, yeah, yeah like that sort of stuff. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so speaking of that, I, I I'm gonna go off on a little tangent here. Did I ever tell you guys the the story about the first time I saw uh, the ring? No, I don't think so. Okay, so this was I think Bill, this was the same time we were working at Bank One because I remember the, the, yeah. the apartment I was in. I can't remember. It was either it was either my last year of college or the year after that because I was in the same apartment. Um, so my roommate and I were watching it and his girlfriend was there and she had seen it before, but we hadn't. 
And mm-hmm. so she's like, whatever, you know, I've already seen this. So she went in and was working on homework or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the door was left open so she could hear what was going on. And we get to the very end of it and like the, the big climactic scene and unbeknownst to us, she knew exactly what was going on. So right at the right time, she mm-hmm. picked up the phone and called our landline phone. <laughs> nice. And it, it for, for a good solid 45 seconds before we realized what was happening, there was two, two nearly grown men almost shitting themselves in panic because we were like, oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Classic. So, like that. sorry, that, that doesn't exactly fit with a mirror jump scare, but you said the when you said that 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 reminded me of that story. Oh That's man. Fun. Um, what do you guys think about I, I got I put these two together like creepy kids or killer kids, you know, where the kids there's something wrong with the kids. Is like it your omen? your two kids at the end of the hallway in the shining? Oh. Like, yeah, you know, something like that. Like they're just or, off. Like um, Damien and the Omen. Like the Omen, Damien, the two kids in the Shining, just children of the corn. You know, there's there's something wrong with kids. Um, that probably. Is. I was running over this list a little bit with my wife. She didn't like it because she doesn't like it when bad things happen to kids. That, so that probably would have that probably would elicit a different response. No, but now that I have three children, my automatic default reaction is there's something wrong with kids. So it doesn't mm-hmm. that much. <laughs> I'll tell you, my, my, my number one fear. This is gonna happen tonight, damn it! Because I said it. <laughs> is and and we all have kids, so we know. Is did you're dead asleep? You wake up, middle of the night, you wake up, there's a little kid staring at you from the end oh, of the bed or right by your face, and it's like just out of sleep. Yeah, that's my biggest fear. I hate that. And so any movie that has like kids like Village of the Damned, uh, Children of the Corn, uh, The Omen, uh, yeah, no. Nick, did I ever tell you... Um... There was one one morning because I take the dog out in the morning, uh-huh. and often it's dark when I in the winter time, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And uh, this must have been four or five years ago at this point. But my daughter Matilda at one point had long hair, and she's got dark hair like me. Oh no! Well, when I used to oh, have no. hair. So I let the dog out, and without giving too much, we've got a two story house, and so I came downstairs and let the dog out, and took him out, and then brought him back in, and I was going back upstairs to you know get ready for work. And I looked up at the top of the stairs, and I didn't turn lights on. I mean, it's dark. It's my house. Yeah, sure. it's, I don't want to be woken up. But I could see her up there, and she had the dark hair was completely covering her face. Oh. And she's just standing there in a nightgown just at the top of the stairs looking down, just dark. And it was like the ring. My, the blood in my <laughs> veins went cold. Yeah. Cold. Oh. <laughs> It, it's, it's like that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy. Bill Stanner, I think a little pee came out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was a bring me my brown pants yeah, kind of kind of cold. Oh, <laughs> oh. I flipped the light on and I was like, hello, Matilda. And she's like, Hi, Daddy. <laughs> but it was just that split second yep. where it was like, because she looked like the girl from yeah. the ring. Now, was she doing it to mess with you? No. She was just standing my there. My kids will do that. She had just gotten out of bed, too. <laughs> Oh, it was one of the like true life most horrifying oh, yeah. experiences I think I've ever had in my life because it was just 
it was uh, extremely disconcerting. And I think we've all had that moment where you like, where your eyes open and you're like, Oh God. <laughs> I, yep. Nick, I, I, you, that when you said that, it made me think of something It's only really happened to me once, but I, I don't even remember. It was, it was a while ago. I don't remember which one of my kids it was, but one of them ended up sleeping with us mm-hmm. and like is in the middle of the bed. And I, I'll never forget. Like I was, when I woke up, I'm just laying there. And, you know, just kind of like, you know, I'm awake for a little while before I open my eyes because I don't really want to. And then, which I think was good because I, I had had enough. I was fully awake. I just hadn't opened my eyes yet. Yeah. So when I slowly opened my eyes, my son's face was right here and he was just <laughs> smiling at me. You know, now, if I had if I had seen that, like coming full awake at the same time. Yep. I probably would have strangled him or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I woken everyone up. I was fully, you know, fully awake and just hadn't opened my eyes. I kind of jumped. It was a jump start a little bit. I was like, Oh, Hey bud, how's it going? Yep. <laughs> like, yep. Try, try not to do that again. Don't give dad a heart attack. If you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I'm going to mark this one an up and a down that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We don't necessarily agree with it in a movie, but. Boy, in real life, real, it'll sure real, mess Real with life, it. I think, is, is more fun than in the movies. Yes. Yes. What about the uh, the trope of, and I don't know that this would fly so much anymore, um, but the whole no cell phone service thing. I mean, are we getting to the point where, because I think that kind of ties in, well, it kind of ties in with another one in a little bit, but you know, are we just at the point where no, not having cell phone service is just cliched and unbelievable? No, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, in... in a month I'm going somewhere where there's no cell service. Like I, I, to be completely honest, I'm going somewhere where, where I get better cell service in the woods than I do in the house. Um, so, I mean, if it's done right, like if it's like, I'm in, you know, a city, sure. you know, Oh, I don't have cell service. Okay. Like that. Yeah. That's not believable. But if you're in like a rural backwoods, Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of town. You can still believe it. It's it's fully believable if I see them go out anywhere outside of a rural area and they flip the phone open and I see Sprint in the corner and they don't have cell service. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> but I think, oh yeah, I get but, it. You know, I think you have to. I mean, there's a whole generation of kids who don't know about no cell service. Well, but, but You're right. that's, the, that's the thing. And, and even in the rural areas, I think you still get a lot of that. That trope is, regardless of whether it's kind of in a transitional phase right now, we're not far away from that being yeah. completely unbelievable because by it's we're yep. not far away from 5G coverage every in every corner of the globe. And you're mm-hmm. going to have no. people growing up and that's all they know. And yep. then they're going to be confronted with a situation that's like, what, what does that, like, what? That, yeah. that doesn't happen. It's, it's, I had to explain life before Wi-Fi to my kids the other day, and they just could not grasp the concept. Yeah, not having something just in your pocket where you can, yeah. They're like, wait, you had to plug into stuff? Yeah. I mean, that just, they. You had to wait till you got home not to look grasp up something? Yeah. Bill, well, just Bill being just, able to walk around the house with a computer. Bill just follows his kids around playing with, with a micro cassette recorder, playing the modem no, dial-up noise yeah. to them over and over again. This was my That's life. What I told him, like, 
It was. I mean, think about yeah. it, Jeremy. It wasn't that long ago that you would pull up Napster. I mean, I would pull up Napster and download five songs while I was out on a Saturday night, mm-hmm. and I was excited when after six hours those five songs had oh, downloaded. I was going to say, like out on a Saturday night, I'd, I'd queue up three of them when I went to bed. They were yeah. downloaded in the morning. It was like it was like you won the lottery. Mm-hmm. It was like Christmas. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not so long ago that that happened, and now I can take my phone and download something right to it, and it's on my phone in about three seconds. I was going to say, for a song, I mean, it's it's two, three seconds tops. I mean, yeah. in the like in the time that, that it would take would have taken back in the day to download a song, you can download two or three, you know, high-definition, two-and-a-half-hour-long films. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I could do something in, in two or three seconds now that would have taken an hour or an difference in technology that literally my kids were like, wait, what? I'll be right back. Okay. But yeah, so that one, if it's not completely dead, it's on life support. It's on, yeah, I think that's probably true. With the exception of, you know, like Nick was saying, in those those certain areas where, you know, if you're out in the north woods or whatever, I guess it makes sense. But anything else, I just think it the time has come. And I do get that because I actually had to... While in the Northwoods last month, I actually had to switch my cell phone service provider because I was tired of not having cell phone service up there. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now Nick I have this perspective because now I now I see the original background that he always used. So now I'm and yep. oh the nice open beam. Yeah, it's a good concept. Get it? It's good. I like the white ceiling. What about, uh, Jeremy, I'll start with you on this one. The whole, um, the, the final girl. And I guess what I mean by that is, you know, you start off with a group and the group has, you know, your, your jock and your girl that kind of promiscuous and you've got your nerdy kid and you've got, you know, you're this and you're that. And what you're always left with is like the girl who started off kind of shy, but as the movie's gone on, you've realized she's kind of streetwise and she's got some some things going forward that you didn't realize at the beginning. And she's the one who survives. Are you, are you talking about a horror movie or the breakfast club? I can't tell. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Let me, uh, I just, I can't wait, Bill. And for anybody listening to this, I cannot wait for you to watch behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon <laughs> simply because, and I'm not, again, I've mentioned it three times. They address all of these in that movie. Like every single one of these, they break it down for you. Mm-hmm. The importance of the final girl, the importance of up the stairs, the, 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 the lurking, the, Oh, God, I can't wait. Bill on a totally unrelated note. I'd like to ask Nick if there's any, you know, horror films that maybe you and I haven't seen that he could recommend behind the mask. Uh, is it any good? Uh, you know, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic look. It uh, puts the genre on its head. Um, uh, you know, it's just oh god, I just I want us to do. All right, Nick, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to watching that tomorrow. Okay, I just I really want us to do a, a movie. Uh, I want I want us to watch it and discuss it. Okay. Um, where, where is it streaming? Uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon. Amazon. All right. I can't promise I'm gonna watch yeah. it tomorrow, but I will. I will. I'm gonna watch it tomorrow. I just I can't. Stress and like they talk about all of these, uh, and it's it is it's like we're talking about them, but 
Yeah. Oh gosh, it's so great. Okay. Um, so uh, the final girl is a necessary girl. part of any horror movie. It needs to be there. You you don't have a horror movie without a final girl. Like you you just you don't. What what is what is Halloween without uh, Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. What's um, you know what's Friday the Thirteenth without I forget the main character the girl's name, Freddie. What's uh-huh. I mean? Gosh, they all have them. Sleepaway Camp. Um. Yeah, it's like the most important part. It's like uh, tearing down a support beam. <laughs> But I mean, I, I think you can do it because obviously the, the reason why that's a trope is because you've got to feel like there's been some sort of real suffering or trials or tribulation happening throughout. So, I mean, it works for slasher flicks more than anything else. But if every like if you have your group of people, you're, you know, you're typically it's another trope, right? Like the group of high school kids and everybody mm-hmm. survives, then there's no skin in the game. Yeah, you had this horrible experience, but, it, you know you all made it, everybody's okay, and it, and it doesn't work. But but I think there are other films maybe that don't, or other situations that don't fit into the horror genre where you can get more than one person that survives and it still works. I mean, the one, this is silly, but the one that stands out to me the most is uh, Tremors. Like, you have mm. a, a good yeah. portion of that group lives through the end of the movie. There isn't one final girl or one final person that makes it to the end. So I, I think you can do it but so so Tremors actually picks up on on another trope, which is the graboids aren't a like, trope, Bill. The, what is it? Graboids aren't a trope. <laughs> um, the the diverse group of people kind of converging in an area one by one to kind of start a movie. You mean like um, was it Overdrive with uh, Emilio Estevez and all those people? Maximum Overdrive. Maximum Overdrive. Soundtrack by ACDC. <laughs> God, I love that movie. You know, you've got that. You've got and it's just other movies that are like that. I mean, you could look at um, oh that movie, Good Times at the El Royale or Bad Times at the El Royale. Oh, I mean, they, they use it non horror movies also. Mm-hmm. You know, you've just got people converging in a in a in a space to mm-hmm. in a space uh, in a space to. Um, to, to start a movie and make something happen. You know, I think the imagery of a final girl or even a final person in general, it serves, it serves a, 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 a purpose to the movie that, that, that you lose if you don't have it. There's a certain, like, there's a certain, you see a transformation, like you said, that like, there's like a loss of innocence over time. Like, you know, this mousy person that, you know, doesn't like, you know, couldn't do anything, you know, scared of somebody who says boo. And then all of a sudden at the end, they, ha- you know, they're, they're capable of these, these great feats of strength or, you know, these, the, you know, this, this great bout of courage because of what they've went through. Um, I mean, honestly, I really think if you take that away, I mean, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell for for me to get behind that that movie. Huh. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I mean, the whole the whole thing about the the diverse group of people coming together. I mean, I, I played Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, which that's kind of the whole point of Dungeons and Dragons is a group of people coming together. But mm-hmm. but one of the, the things that I have thought uh, that, that's kind of interesting, and it works for books or, or, or really anything, is it depends on how you look at it. Because if you if you go into it looking at it and saying, well, this this is unbelievable because all of these people happen to get together at just the right time to be able to drive this story the way that it needs to be. But if you kind of look at it backwards, that don't look at it through the lens of the people, look at it through the lens of the event. You're decon- here, here's this, this final event, and now you're deconstructing that event mm-hmm. to what led up to it, and that's where you end up getting all of these individuals who play a part in this larger story. So I think whether it's, it's kind of like... Um, examining the plot from a top-down versus a bottom-up standpoint. Yeah. Hmm. And you, I know think movie, you know what movie if, does if that well? From, if you look at it from bottom-up, I think it tends to make a little bit more sense when, you, when you're trying to justify how did this particular group of people come together. Um, the movie that I think most recently that I can think of that did it well was, uh, speaking of Dungeons & Dragons and horror movies, uh, it's a movie called Knights of Badastum. Have you ever seen Knights of Badastum, Jeremy? <laughs> I uh, have, yeah. Uh, fantastic movie. It's got the dink yeah, in it. It's got the dink. It's got uh, um, oh, one of the guy. One of the guys from the show it. True Bloods in it. Uh, it's a, oh yeah, what's his face? I can't. The guy who was always on the um, on the soup back in the day. Yep. Um, Essentially, it's a movie about these. Um, it's got uh, um, um, River from Firefly. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I can't think of what her name is. Steve is In any case. Who is? It is a, oh, yeah, a movie Steve about... Zion, Peter Dinklage is in it? Yeah, the Dink. Yeah, the Dink. And it's um, a horror movie that takes place at a Renaissance festival. Where they're LARPing. Yeah, they're oh LARPing. Oh my God, I want to watch this. <laughs> Please do. It's, uh, it's bad, it's, but it's great. Yeah, oh, phenomenal movie. I think Daniel Pudi's in it? Joshua Molina's in it. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, that that's yeah, that's it's... that's one like what you're talking about, Jeremy, is like a group of people coming together. That one doesn't have a final girl. You're you, you know what? You've broken my theory. That Brian, movie does not have a final girl. Brian and I was behind that movie. It's really good. It's it's pretty great. I mean, in a campy Sort of way. Oh, yeah. It is definitely worth the watch. Yes. Um, what about the whole, like, abandoned place, someone died here thing as a way to creep up a, a house or whatever? Depends on how they die. You know, oh, <laughs> if someone I right, let's assume it's like, in some violent way. Well, yeah, I mean it's like some violent way, but but he, I, I guess what's what's the point? Is the point it's the whole haunted house, right? Right. Is the point that there's some sort of spirit that is lurking as the result of this violent action? The the, the mere fact that somebody died in a building, big deal, unless it's directly connected to whatever they're trying to drive the plot with. I think it's a. a I think it's a cheap way to try to. Everybody understands what a haunted house is, right? Yeah. 
And so if you're like, oh, look at that abandoned home, you know, someone died there in, in questionable circumstances, you immediately know, oh, okay, this is a place not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. This isn't a good place. This is, this this has the potential for there to be bad, mm-hmm. like the Amityville Horror, right? There's bad yeah, in the house. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I think there's, I think there are better ways to tell a story, but I still think it's effective. Well, you know, the Amityville Horror I mean, the house wasn't too creepy. I mean, what, what made it creepy was because we knew it was the Amityville Horror. But if you look right. at, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house, that was a creepy house. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's creepy because we've been conditioned to think, like, oh, a dilapidated house is, is creepy. creepy. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's... um, Yeah, I think I think, Jeremy, I think you're right. It's how... You know, what's the story behind it? Is it just like, oh, there's everywhere has that creepy house. Um, but like, yeah, what's the story behind it? Who, how'd the person die? What's the lore of the house? That would make sense. But it can be overused. You know what? One that stands out. I, this isn't in film, but one of the, the creepiest ones that I've encountered in terms of a house is the oh, hell. What's his name? The what, whatever the the character, whatever the Dracula character's name is, I can't remember right now from Salem's Lot. Oh, um, um, the book. If you, it's what the hell's his oh, name? Um, I, mm, what um, what is his name? Uh, Shane's yelling at me right now while listening to this because it was just. <laughs> they, I mean, this is covered. This was covered in. Gosh, it was just covered in Castle Rock season two. Um, I still haven't seen that. Good season two. Great show. Great season two. Fantastic. Season one was good. Very Salem's Lot heavy. Um, what is his name? But it plays a big part. Uh, I gotta look it up because I'm gonna. This is gonna drive me good, nuts. Kurt do. Barlow. It's gonna really hurt when you say no. It. Richard Straker. Richard Straker. Yeah. Yeah. Barlow's the ancient vampire, and Straker's the familiar. Yes, Straker's that that because I I always forget it's either Straker or Barlow, but Barlow's like the henchman. Yeah. No, Barlow's the vampire. Straker's the henchman. Yeah. But no, the the. But going back to it, that that's one where when I read that, that's that's legitimately creepy description. Everything about that house. Because mm-hmm. the horror that's inside it is just is, is designed to set you on edge. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if it's if it's if it's critical to the plot, then yeah. But just if it's a creepy house, just for the sake of it being a creepy house, then who cares? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, it's like I just got done reading for the first time the Haunting of Hill House. Um, Ooh, good one. And you know that house. They even talk about how the walls seemed wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the walls didn't seem straight, but they were and the walls all seemed to end a half a, you know, an eighth of an inch too short. And it was just, you know, the whole house, even just when they, the characters would pull up to it, it just, it, it looked, it, it gave up, you know, a sense of foreboding and it just looked bad. Um, I don't know. To, you know, to me, the, the more, and, and this is what we're, I think really all getting at to me, the more successful way of doing that is the house is just a normal house you don't know anything's wrong sure. with it. That, I mean, that, that to me is the scary part, just a normal house. 
not like, oh, I'm walking into this really creepy house that is haunted. It's, no, I moved into just this house. And all of a sudden, all this weird stuff's happening. You know, mm-hmm. that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's the same idea, like, writ large, if you look at the look at the Shining, right? Yeah. Like, the, over, the Overlook Hotel. There's nothing, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, there's a tourist yeah, spot just, where you have all this hotel. stuff, and it's just a hotel. But then by the end, it's this, you know, god-awful place, mm-hmm. but you don't know that going into it. So, yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I would agree with that 100%. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that works so well in The Shining, though, is that you pull up to the hotel and it seems like a great place. Yep. But then through the, either the movie or the book, it, it becomes very bad. Yep. <laughs> what about so in other um, words, the Overlook Hotel is a lot like 2020. When you first get there, it seems like it's going to be this great thing. And then by the time you reach the end of it. Just like, just, yeah. yeah, just a dumpster fire. Dislike, would yeah. not recommend. Yeah, one star, right? Find, find me a place uh, to put a Yelp s- review of 2020 on there. <laughs> we could, we could. Uh, Yelp, uh, not Yelp reviews. Uh, vengeful spirits. What do you guys think? Oh, those bother me as a trope. They don't bother oh, you. They do. They do bother yes. you. Um, so anything with spirits, just and again, it's just because of conditioning like you know if you're never told that spirits are vengeful or you know anything like that you're gonna you're, you're not gonna be bothered by it but we're conditioned to think like again you know there's a spirit they're a vengeful spirit they're gonna do something to hurt you the, the thing with vengeful spirits is that they are not you're really not able to do anything to them Right. You know, I think that that to me is the scariest part of them. Um, I don't. I don't think the vengeful spirits thing is. It can be a crutch that you can like. Any any story can. You can make up any story with a vengeful spirit, but um, I don't know. There's not a whole lot in that genre to me. Um, so I don't think it's an overused one. I, I like it. I like that one. Okay. It adds a little bit of. It sounds silly to say for vengeful for spirit, but it adds a little bit of reality, you know, because that's what you hear when you, when, you know, like, you know, when you hear about, you know, oh, this house is haunted or this or that, or, you know, this story or that story, um, it, it adds a little bit of reality to it. Again, it sounds silly to say, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I have a strong feeling one way or another on that one. Okay. So I'm going to do thumbs sideways. <laughs> what about um, either like the girl who is running and is falling or um, those weird shots where you get like that person just running down the middle of the road? I, I, I don't, don't for, feel for like that's... My, yeah. For me, much of the same argument goes to the the staircase, same yeah. type of thing. Like if you're running, you're not going to be just flailing your arms and legs like crazy, and then all of a sudden, oh no, I tripped! Like you're going to be hoofing it, like under controlled circumstances. Like you know, I mean, if you can run like a normal person, you can run like a normal person all the time. <laughs> um, 
it's sort of like they teach you to do that the whole time you're growing exactly. up. Exactly. I mean, and I guess if you, it'd be different if they were running through uneven terrain. But normally with that trope, mm-hmm. it's like they're running across the lawn and they trip, or you know, very rarely right. is it like we're running through the woods and we trip over a stump, or you know, something like that. You know, that's to me that's the most I think overused of them all. Is that, you know, the clumsy. Like if the person well, was implied to be clumsy. Well, it, it's not mm-hmm. just that. It's the it, it's the point of it. But, but like it's it's a cheap device to try and close the physical gap between whoever's running and who's chasing them. Mm-hmm. Because you know, in most cases, if you're being chased by Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. They're not sprinting outright at full speed the way a normal person would be. There's this kind of lumbering slowness. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at if you got this person who's walking at a slow speed and this person who's running flat out, the person who's running flat out is going to get away unless Mm -hmm. there's something that's going to stop them. So it just ends up being a chill. It's it's almost like we don't have any more creative way to think about this. So we're just going to have them trip and fall down. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's just a, yeah, it's it's like a, a crutch. It's an, it's another crutch. We I keep talking about these crutches, but yeah, it's another crutch. It's like I can't figure out how I'm going to kill this person. They're going to be running away and they're going to trip, break their ankle. Yeah, we'll make her fall down and then then the guy bad guy well, can catch I'll, up. I'll go back to that Geico commercial that's floating around where they're where they actually show the you know the the chainsaw murderer or whatever while the kids are arguing about it and he kind of pushes the mask up and he's got this look on his face like what? <laughs> Again, I can't wait for you guys to watch Rise of Leslie Burton. <laughs> Should have been keeping track for how many times you mentioned the movie so far. So, fellow, fellow um, talk listeners, uh, by the time you, uh, you go back and re-listen to this episode, if you choose to do so, that's the recommended drinking game, is that every time uh, Nick mentions <laughs> the, the the rise of Leslie Vernon, take a shot. You gotta do a shot. Please. Yeah. And then watch it again. The movie. <laughs> I, I, I missed my opportunity to, to go on to this one when we were talking about uh, The Shining, but what about the whole we can't leave trope right like you're stuck in this like there's something bad going on but we can't go anywhere because we're snowed in or because the you know car broke down or whatever again house of a thousand corpses i'm looking at it 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 depends on it depends on the reason why if it's if it's really pedestrian Mm -hmm. then Eh, whatever. I mean, if it, well, the car's broken down, or you're, you know, you're in the woods or something, and and there's no one around. If you go back to use The Shining as a particular example, especially in the film, the thing that's keeping them there is an integral part of the setting and the ambiance mm-hmm. that's happening around you. So that one, I think, is a little bit different. Or you know, if there's there's something, um, you know, another. I mean. Maybe this is a Stephen King thing, but I'll, I'll go back to I mentioned the mist earlier. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have seen that, but the same type of thing where there's this physical presence that's hemming them in. That's part of the ambiance of the setting and not just, oh, my car broke down or yeah. something like that. It, it has to be. It has to be believable. And I think with any of this, obviously, like with any horror movie, like, I mean, yes, we're making certain leaps and bounds like, you know, 
Jason Voorhees is, you know, a crazy killer who can't be killed and has superhuman strength. Michael Myers is, you know, just, you know, I mean, he's probably the more grounded of the two if you look at as far as, like, origins. Like, he's just a crazy person Mm -hmm. that escaped Mm -hmm. from a mental institution. But, like, it has to be believable. Like, all these situations had to be believable. Like, if, if if the movie is setting up that if the movie is setting up that the, that, that like, okay, they're driving in a crappy car and like, you know, in the opening credits, like the car keeps breaking down and they keep like patching it up, you know, like, Oh, I'll put, you know, there's a hole in the hose and I got to tie it up. You know, I gotta, I gotta patch it. And then, Oh, it breaks down a little bit more like that stuff to me, that, that makes it believable. Like, you know, all you hear over the, over the radio that a big snowstorm's coming in and, you know, they're like, Oh, we got to hunker down and they, you know, end up staying, you know, at the first place they see and that sort of thing. That makes sense. It, but it has to, it has to make sense in the story for it to work. It can't just be like it, the manufactured car. Yeah, it can't down. be the car that's just driving perfectly fine, like brand new Volkswagen, you know, Jetta or something. And it's, you know, then you throw a rod. All yeah. Of and all of a sudden it's like, Oh no, like that. I mean, that, that's just not believable. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be, it just has to be believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one that, uh, has resulted in nightmares for oh, me, uh, my whole life <laughs> is the mm-hmm. zombie infected family member. Now, part of the reason that I've always thought this was so powerful is that, um, because you've got, you know, when you have your loved one who's now infected as a zombie, right? They are permanently being removed from you because of something outside of your control. Um, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Um, I mean, I guess you could say the same is with just any terminal illness, but um, I've always, if you can build that, if you can build an emotional connection in a movie or a TV show, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden somebody gets bit by a zombie, I think that can be that could really mess with your head. Mm-hmm. Well, the difference with that, as opposed to say someone dying or someone contracting a terminal illness is that you're actually put in a position in that situation where you're watching someone essentially be converted from a protagonist to an antagonist. Like they're, they're, yeah, true. they're not, they're not being taken from you and they're dead. They're actually becoming a, a malevolent enemy of you which they otherwise wouldn't be. So I think that adds something into it. I, I struggle a little bit. I, I know you, I, I, oh, I think you guys are, are, are walking dead fans. I never really got into that. The, the zombie thing is kind of, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, sometimes I feel like it gets a little bit overdone, but then there's really good examples. I mean, Dawn of the dead is, is a classic, um, night of the, the living night dead. Of the dead, um, both of them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the other one, even though, Again, getting away from from movies, I didn't care for the film adaptation of this very much. But the book, for, I don't know if you read the book for World War Z by Max Brooks. Yep, that yeah, Max Brooks. Yeah, that you need to read that because that isn't. Um, they did what they had to do to make it a movie, but there's no single character that runs throughout that entire book. It's a documentary novel, so mm-hmm. the entire thing is just snippets of yep of journals all around the world in yep. all different walks of life and all different and how they're dealing with this situation as it unfolds. One of my um, favorite books. Yeah. So those are, uh, those are some of the, the, the pretty cool things, but yeah, it's, 
that adds a little bit of a be, because it, I, I think Bill, to what you're the point that you're getting at, it's not just a scary horror type thing. It adds an element of heartbreak and sadness that you're losing your mm-hmm. loved one in this particular way to this in this particular fashion. Or you go the flip and you don't know that you're losing that loved one. You get the you get the bitten but don't tell anybody because you think you can sure. beat it. You know, the 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 that's a good assault. You're the one that's gonna yeah. beat it. This is gonna sound silly, but the one that comes to mind is community. The episode where everybody eats the be- the tainted meat and they all turn into zombies. You remember that? You remember that one? I don't uh-huh. know. I remember, it's, I remember co- that. It, it's the one where they're having a costume party. Uh, Troy's dressed up like. Uh, uh, oh. No, not Batman. Why are you a jerk? <laughs> no, not that one. Uh, no. Abbott is dressed up like the Xenomorph. Troy is dressed up like Ridley. In the in in the ending in the ending scene, he's got the full you know like the mech armor. Yeah, and they all and they all become zombies. Well, there's one guy who. Oh, I do remember. Yeah, and that. they all and they all, and one the one the one guy gets bit and he's like a doctor and he's like helping everybody and he's like they're like what are the symptoms and he's like he's like well first you get you know a fever and blah blah and then he's like and the final symptom is slurred speech <laughs> and then they they like grab his arm and they. They like yank up his sleeve and he's bitten and they're like, why didn't you tell us you got bitten? He's like, I thought I was special and that I could beat it. (laughs) And uh, like, yeah, it's, you know, so I don't know. I can appreciate that because it can go a few different ways. You know, you can, you know, you can, you can take it a few different ways and, and, and have it. I, I also, I love the book world war Z. It's a great book. I I also like the, uh, I I call it a companion book, but I don't, I don't know that it really is, but the Mel Brooks, uh, uh, or um, I'm sorry, Max Brooks's um, surviving how to survive a zombie apocalypse. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Book. That's also a very good one. So my ki- my kids are getting into that now. I guess there's a there's a Netflix show called The Last Kids on Earth that's based on a, yep. a book series, and they're they're watching that quite a bit now. Yep, it's like hmm. a it's kind of like a graphic novel series, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I get a, I get a little yeah. worried about it because my my ten year old will just out of the blue walk up and you know if we had a zombie apocalypse we should really go to to this place first and get this stuff and it it'll just be random stuff. No, but he this is bring, all good. He keeps bringing it up over and over again. I'm like, do you what? what? You should be and you should be taking notes. Yeah, because here's the thing: when society collapses, and I say this all the time, when society collapses, you need to have a plan, and the only way that you're going to survive and uh, survive and not be killed by anybody is if you have a marketable skill that you're going to be able to, uh, uh, get into one of these groups. When you say, Hey, I know how to farm. That means that you're valuable to them. Hey, I can hunt. hunt. Hey, I do good woodworking. Hey, I, you know, if, if, if you have one of these skills, that that's how you're going to survive. When society collapses on November 5th, um, and the world erupts into this, whatever, um, <laughs> you have to have a skill, and and so your son is your son is thinking right. You give give that man a book to write down his ideas, so when this happens, he can say, "Okay, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this." I've been preparing for this my Here's whole life. Here's the safest spot we need to go. The trick is not to go too far because once you get a long trek going, you're bound to get caught up with something. So you need to pick somewhere close. 
Can we mm-hmm. talk about this? You guys want to talk about this? <laughs> it's a different episode. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk about my escape plan for the apocalypse. Perfect. Okay. Just bring me with. We can do our podcast on sure. the road. I like it. Uh, what about the splitting up to solve a problem, right? Obviously, as a group, we can't fix this thing. So let's all split up into onesies and twosies. Uh, the old Scooby-Doo aspect. Yep. It was the, when I wrote that down, that was literally the first thing I thought of was Scooby-Doo. Which is scary that your brain and my brain are working the same on this one. Yeah, I, splitting up into teams is a natural uh, is a natural thing. So I think it, it works. It works because it's believable. Like it, it, it's it's a, it's it's not overused because I feel like that's how anybody would solve one of these problems. Like, oh, you know, this is going on. We need to split up into teams and divide and conquer, or you guys do this and we're going to do that. Because there are too many yeah. problems. And and I think it's just normal. It's you know, it's it's it it works and it's not to me a bad. Tr- because I feel like that's the first suggestion anybody's going to have is you go turn on the generator. There's a large variety of velociraptors in this area. We're going to go <laughs> over here. Yeah. And handle this other thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I go full. When I'm thinking about that, I'm just going full on office space. So, yeah. The, it, it's just natural human reaction. Yeah. I mean, how, how many, like, okay, here's, here's a big project. All right, well, let's come up with some work streams and subgroups and project teams and that. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's trope or not, it's believable because it's what people do. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's ingrained in all of us, I think, to, like, break up into groups and, you know, that group A does this, group B does that. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm in training and development. It's, I mean, how many times have I done that for a training class that I teach? All right, everybody break up into small groups and go discuss sure. the problem and come back and tell us what you found come out. Back. Yeah. Dumb, dumb or not, it's realistic. Mm-hmm. What about evil clowns? Moving on. Which ones do you want to talk about? <laughs> Killer clowns from outer space? Uh, Pennywise? You want to talk about the clown from uh, Poltergeist, Bill? You want to talk about... No, I don't no, want to talk, talk about, about that the clown one? from Poltergeist. No, I okay. don't want to talk about that. I, I want to be able to sleep Okay, let's, let's skip it then. Let's skip it. Jeremy, did I ever tell you about my reoccurring nightmare from when I was a no. kid? <sighs> I love this story. Is this going to become my recurring, reoccurring nightmare? No, this one's weird. I don't know. I oh. had this reoccurring nightmare when I was a kid. And, I, and from Okay, so I had this nightmare when I was a kid. I was sleeping in bed, right? I must have been six. I was young. And uh, I woke up and I leaned, oh man, I'm going to give myself goosebumps again. I lean over the side of the bed and this clown pops. I just did it. There Mm -hmm. it is. Uh, I'm almost 43 goddamn years old and this still scares me. Um, Clown pops out from underneath the bed and pulls me down under, right? And uh, there's a circus, it's like this weird circus thing. And we're not down there for very long before it pops me back. Oh, there it goes again. Knock it off. Um, well, I got warm up. Uh, pops me over its shoulder. And this is what I remember vividly. It, I'm over its shoulder in like a fireman carry. It is walking me down the hallway of my house. I am passing underneath the smoke detector in the hallway. 
I am screaming so loud that not a sound comes out of my mouth. And that's, I had that dream more than once. But then, fast forward, yeah. <laughs> fast forward to probably, um, I don't know, 2001, 2002, and was it Bravo or whatever was doing like the 100 scariest movie moments of all time or whatever, and they came up with Poltergeist, and it's essentially like the scene of the boy on his bed and the clown comes out, and um, it sent a chill up my spine. I immediately paused the TV, called my mother and said, did I ever see Poltergeist as a kid? Because I think I did. <laughs> and uh, she's like, yeah, no, we never saw that. It's like, well, how did I see it? Because I had a dream of this exact scene. And she's like, yeah, you never saw it as a kid. So, mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm, I vowed to at one point watch the movie uh, to get over the fear, but I haven't done it yet. I love that story. Because, again, I'm 41 years old and still afraid of clowns hiding under my bed. See, that's a much spooky, that, that's much spookier than my recurring dream. My, my recurring horrible dream when I was a kid was that I would show up to like the big, biggest, most important test with like five minutes left and not have time to do it. Like all, sure, all, all of my nightmares were academic related. So <laughs> yeah, not this one. And I had this one, I mean, three, four, five, six times. I had it more than once. That's creepy. Mm-hmm. 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 Thanks for making me relive that. Relive that, Nick. Let's you're move on. Hey, you're the one who brought um, up clowns, man. Yeah, that was totally my fault. What about the underwater foot grab? Hole. Like you're swimming inside. <laughs> Let me tell you. Something grabs your foot. Um, so my kids have been on me to watch. Uh, they want to watch something scary because it's Halloween, right? So they want to watch something scary. And my daughter is like, oh, let's watch. You know, you know, we she I let her watch like a goosebumps, you know, that's something that's not super scary, you know. She's what, eight years old now or something like that. So um so I was like, Oh, we can watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? A show that terrified me as a child. I don't know why I would think, hey, you know what you can watch? Are you afraid of the dark? This is a super great yeah. idea. So we uh Are You Afraid of the Dark, you can buy the seasons for like five bucks a season, uh, thirteen episodes or twelve episodes. And uh, on Amazon uh, to stream. And there's one in the first season called The Tale of Dead Man's Float. And The Tale of Dead Man's Float <laughs> is about and, and, and scared my wife to death as a kid. And I was scared to death of it, too. Um, a Tale of Dead Man's Float is about a kid in, uh, in school, like a nerdy kid who, um, you know, is trying to impress this you know girl who's on the swim team and. And they have to drive all this way to swim practice. Well, he finds an abandoned pool in the school, like like behind like a wall, like behind the wall of lockers. Like they walled it up, and nobody'd been in there for a long time. And so, um, you know, he they petitioned the school to open it up and all that stuff. Well, it turns out that this was built on an Indian burial ground. Obviously, well, yeah. so there is a there's a monster, the 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 spirit of something in this pool that like yanks people down like you can't see it it's a completely invisible thing and it yanks people down um and grabs you under the water you know it uh and and eventually they you know they throw like some chemical on it it turns it red and you can actually see the the ghost and then they throw something else on it and it makes it explode um but that movie is why i'm afraid of the unknown under the water 
or that that episode is why See, I'm I afraid of it. I, I don't have any any such thing. Like I'll agree with the the trope for movies because of something that happened to me in real life, mm-hmm. and a very very mundane pedestrian event. But when I was a kid, I, I don't remember where I was, but I was in the water swimming around or something and just not thinking about anything, but a fairly, fairly decent sized, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting there playing around doing whatever and a fairly decent sized fish bumped into my leg, oh. but not, not knowing what it was, man, I'm pretty sure I walked on, I walked on the water to get out of it. <laughs> you jumped out and just walked to but, land. <laughs> but thinking about that, just, just the, the sensation of something just hit me underwater. I can't see it and I don't know what it is. So I, I get it. Like I totally get it. Yeah. It's the, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the, you're not in clear waters. You're, you know, it's always murky. I think that that's something they don't Mm -hmm. use enough. Okay. All right. We will wrap this up. I got a handful more. Um, what about uh, the weapon that you need is just out of reach as you're being choked by the bad guy? Or, you know, Lori Strode reaching for that hanger that she just quite can't get. I think that's realistic if it's done right. I mean, in theory. I think it adds to suspense, too. Yeah, it adds, yeah, it adds to the dispense, or the dispense, the suspense. But it's believable. Again, we, I go back to the mm-hmm. believability of it. Like, if I have a knife and I'm waiting for my moment to, you know, get at this person and there's a struggle, I'm going to lose the knife. Like, I, I just am. And mm-hmm. it could be right out of my reach. It could. It could happen. So I, th- I think that that's a plausible trope. I think that's a good trope yeah. to have because, again... It's a valid thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're if you're fighting with someone or you're struggling with someone, and they're aware that there is a weapon close by that you can use, mm-hmm. they're going to do whatever it takes to try and keep you away from that weapon. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you you've got to you got to be able to root for the person, right? Like that that's the visceral reaction for you as the viewer. Mm-hmm. You're trying that that that's something that's doesn't just have you watching a fight wondering what's going to happen, but it, it gives you something to say, just, you know, get it, get it, get it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does give you a rooting interest. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the realization that that thing wasn't really dead after all? Right. Again, I keep coming to Halloween cause it's my I mean, favorite, uh, but yeah. you know, Dr. Loomis shoots Michael one, two, three, four, five times or whatever, unloads his gun on him, falls off the balcony, and he's laying there, and then you go back and look, and he's gone. You know, I think... I mean, it's obviously not realistic. No, no. Um, and I, Or you think you've dispatched something, and then it comes back to get you later. I think that it's... I think that it is overused simply because you're always setting up for another movie. Like you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into right. just like, Oh yeah, this is done. You know, it, it, it's overused simply because you can see it coming. You know, you can, I, I can, I can see like, Oh, if I'm watching, you know, uh, uh, what was the, 
what was the one that just came out with the little kid uh, that had like superpowers? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Hang on. Is it the like anti Superman one that you were talking about a while ago? Yes. Brightburn? Yeah, Brightburn. Yeah, Brightburn. Sorry, a random toy just turned on in my house and that weirded me out. <laughs> As it yeah. should. Um, yeah, Brightburn. Um, so, sorry, I couldn't, I'm trying to hear if it's still on. Um, yeah, Brightburn. So, like, I could tell that that was going to be the case. Don't do that. <laughs> but I could tell. I could tell that that was going to be the case with Brightburn. Like, I knew we could get a second one. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, so. Well, I guess, what about then in the in the context of just the first movie. I mean, cause I think it works, you know, you've, you've made it halfway through the movie. You've dispatched the bad thing or part of the bad thing only for it to, you know, 20 minutes later, come back. Mm-hmm. I think it can work in that respect because, you know, you in your mind as, as the viewer of the movie, you have seen what happens. You've processed what happened. Now this thing is gone. So it's off the table, right? So you're now, only focusing on this one particular thing, but then when the other thing comes back, I feel like it's a it's a, a second way to scare you mm-hmm. because in your brain that's that thing's gone already. Yeah, um, I've dealt with this. Logically. Yeah, right. I mean, you've you've dealt with it. It's gone, and then it comes back. And you're like, no, wait, that that thing was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess maybe not in the overused way of hey, we're going to bring this thing right back at the end because we don't want to kill the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but even just in a movie, I think it can be really effective as a way to um, really catch you off guard. And I think then that the scare is is even more when when you're not expecting it because it's already been dispatched. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. That is... If it's done... I think with all of these, if it's I think done it has right. to be done yeah, right. it has to be done right. How's the toy going over good. there? I don't hear it right now, so that's good. That's good. All right, I got two okay. more. Um, one of them, how about the kid doesn't know that he's talking with a ghost, and the ghost is bad. Oh. Uh-huh. Right, kid just thinks it's an adult or whatever. Like, do we know it's a ghost? Yeah, you know it's a ghost. So you know that the kid's putting himself in danger. Mm-hmm. Apparently, this isn't a big enough trope because I'm having to do a lot of explanation. I don't think that it's, I don't think that, it's used that much. Like I don't, I don't think it's used that much. I think it's, um, it would, I mean, the last time I could think of something like that was maybe, I don't know. I think maybe the sixth sense. That's what I was just. Yeah. Well, well, but I mean, but Bruce Willis wasn't, wasn't a bad ghost, I guess. You know, you look at um, it. It pulls like in it, right? Where Georgie doesn't realize who he's talking to is bad, 
But you as the audience do. Yeah, but that's not a ghost. No. But maybe that's, you know, maybe it's more just, you know, the kid is walking himself into danger that you can see that he can't. Oh, well, it's, it's, if we're you talking, know, if we're talking about that, like that, yeah, that, I mean, that's a good one. I like that one. Like the unsuspecting, you know? All right, we're going to change it to that then. So we agree that we like, I like that. it. All right. Last one. Cause I know you guys have jobs and things. Yes. Um, which actually, <laughs> this is a good one to save to the end. So what about your, your, you've had your, your plot, you've had your rising action, right? Mm-hmm. You've had your climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. You're in your denouement, if mm-hmm. you will. Everything's kind of settling back down. But right before you get to the end of the movie, there's one more big scare that happens. Whether that's the bad guy's not really dead or, you know, something else is coming or whatever. But right at the end, there's one more giant thing that either startles you or scares you or sets up a sequel. What do you guys think? I like it. I do. That one I do like. If it's done, we keep saying this, but if it's done correctly, Mm -hmm. Friday the 13th. Jason comes out of the water. Yeah. You, know, you you get the um you know, you get the setup for it did it again. The toy came yeah. on again. You know what? Let me go look at this. Hang on. Sorry. Continue talk amongst yourselves. If you hear a loud <laughs> scream, that's me. Well I'll right, we'll call nine one. I'll give you a good example, not from the end of a film, but from a particular scene and it's not really a horror film. But if you go to think about the scene in the fellowship of the ring where Gandalf fights the Balrog and he Uh defeats it, right? Like he's hanging there, but the Balrog, everything crumbles and he, the, the, the fire demons falling down into the depths of the earth and okay, great. We just have to save Gandalf and it's over. And then all of a sudden the thing reaches up with its whip and grabs onto Gandalf and yanks him down. So it's like, you Uh think you have everything resolved and then so, again, that was a, a that was one where I, I think it does. It messes with your emotional state as the viewer by, even if it's just for a matter of a few seconds, getting you into some level of security and then pull, forcibly pulling you back out of it. The, the, sure. That, I mean, that's the example. The, the, the original Friday the 13th is the best one I can think of with that, with the final scene. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of other examples right now off the top of my head. And I can't think of anything that's better than that. But, um, no, I think it's, it's. All right, you guys continue. Uh, I'm going to bow out while I figure out this toy thing. And then I'm just going to go to bed. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. All right. Good luck, Nick. Text if you need help. Thank you. Bye, Nick. See ya. Bye, guys. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) I I really want to know what's happening now. Like, I'm going to text him in 10 minutes and see if he's okay. The next, the next um, episode is going to be resolution of the mysterious toy. Yeah. yeah, no kidding, right? No, um, but I think you're absolutely right. It's it's a matter of um, uh, letting you have some comfort and then just yanking you back out of the comfort mm-hmm. zone. Makes it worse than when you were, before you were even in the comfort yeah. zone. So, okay. Good Perfect. stuff. Well, thank you both <laughs> for joining me. 
that guy's all right. I've never seen anybody get that spooked by a toy. I, I have that crap happen uh, in my house all the time. All of a sudden, just random stuff starts making noise. Yeah, Nick, Nick could be a little jumpy, though. <laughs> I, I wish you could probably go back and look at the old Halloween episodes, and I'm sure that uh, he's a little jumpy in those. See, too. his response is different. For him to get spooked like that, it'd be the equivalent. For me, I just get angry. I want to find whatever it is and smash it and then throw it away. God. Stop making noise. Yeah, he kind of assumes, though, that the toy's possessed or... He also missed his opportunity to talk about the rise of Les- Leslie Vernon or whatever. Well, I'm glad you were able to bring that up one more time. It's important. Yeah, the, one more shot. One more everybody. shot. So, all right, Jamie, I'll let you go so you can get Sounds out. Sounds good. We'll say happy Halloween, everybody. Yep, happy Halloween. The welcome. Thank you, and uh, and drink responsibly for our drinking game. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but what of the things that we've shared? What of all the, the sweet words that you spoke in private? Oh, uh, well, well, that's just what we call pillow talk, baby. This has been the Pillow Talk Podcast, brought to you by Local Flavor Productions. You can find more information at pillowpodcast.com. Tell your friends about Pillow Talk. We will be glad to get more subscribers. And thank you again for listening to Pillow Talk.